There's one thing for certain. God says that there is a blessedness and lasting heritage for the righteous. Meanwhile, there is certain doom for the unrighteous. Coming up, the destiny of the righteous, next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Well, I call it the 3773 prescription straight from the throne of God. It's a prescription in our lives when we're dealing with situations that are unfair, even unjust. Whether that situation is in our individual lives, our work situation, or even a national crisis, this prescription from the throne of God makes all the difference. And that's the focus of our current series called God's Prescription When Life Isn't Fair. Our study is based on two psalms that speak powerfully to us in this type of situation, Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. And right now, we have been in the midst of Psalm 37. Today, we're going to look at verses 22 through 33. And I've titled today's episode, The Destiny of the Righteous. Now, as you read through Psalm 37, it becomes immediately clear that there are two striking realities throughout the entire psalm. First, the blessedness and posterity of the righteous, even though they may be persecuted by the wicked for a period of time. And then the second theme that we see weaving through this entire psalm is the inevitable doom of the wicked, those who rebel against God, even though it may seem for a while that they are getting away with murder, as the saying goes. Now, this is not just a theme that we see singularly in Psalm 37. It is repeated throughout the entire Bible from Genesis all the way through the Revelation. The reality is there may be times in which the unrighteous, the ungodly, even the wicked seem to be getting away with their sin but they are not. The horrific consequences for their wicked actions will certainly catch up with them. God promises those horrific consequences will fall upon the wicked suddenly and inescapably. Again, this is a theme seen throughout the scripture. And that is what we saw in the last episode titled The Doom of the Wicked and the Heritage of the Righteous when we were studying Psalm 37, verses 12 through 21. Now, before we get into today's material, I wanted to clarify what it means, what God means when he talks about righteousness in the Bible. The most important righteousness is not our own righteousness. God is very clear what he thinks about our own righteousness. He describes such so-called righteousness as filthy rags in Isaiah 64, verse 6, and like dung found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. You see, true righteousness is of and from God. God is the source of all that is good. No one or no thing is intrinsically good. Only God is good by virtue of his own goodness. We are good because God has made us that way. And all the praise and all the glory goes to him. And I want you to understand that the Bible clearly teaches that true righteousness is the gift of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. There's some important material we need to understand and you know, we cannot understand it without the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's take some time right now and ask the Holy Spirit to bring illumination and understanding to our study today. Father, I thank you that you are the God of all eternity, from eternity past, eternity now, and eternity future. Thank you that you are the great and mighty God. And Lord, I thank you that you are supremely good. 
Father, when I have gone through frustrating times, it has been a great comfort for me to realize that we are not in the devil's universe. We are in your universe, and it operates your way according to your laws. And I thank you for that, Lord. Father, you know how small and creaturely and, well, we tend to be short-sighted, Father, and we tend to be locked in the here and now, and we may be seeing a situation that's impacting our lives or maybe the life of a loved one that is terrifically unjust and unfair. Father, I pray that by your word and by the Spirit, you would bring revelation to us, that we would see the larger picture and the fact that you, good God, are involved, actively involved, and that there is a good, wonderful outcome and heritage for the righteous. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. If your Bible is open, uh, please open it up to Psalm 37. Today we begin in verse 22, Psalm 37, verse 22, which reads, For those blessed by him, speaking of God, shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Again, I spoke earlier about this all throughout Psalm 37, and indeed throughout the Bible we see these two parallel themes of the blessedness of the righteous and how they inherit the earth. In other words, they will be around for a long time. And on the other hand, the cursedness of the wicked, and they don't have an inheritance. They're cut off. And the Bible actually says that it happens swiftly. Now, look, as I said, this is a huge theme throughout the Bible. And it may seem for the moment that the wicked are taking over. What's going on? How could they be doing what they're doing in such opposition to the clear word of God? Listen, friend, they're not going to be up to this for long. Again, I said this in my prayer, and I want to say it again. This is God's universe, not the devil's universe. God created everything He set it all up, and folks, it works by his rules. God reigns supreme as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And God says, the righteous shall inherit the earth, and the wicked shall be cut off. And what a wonderful thing it is for us to to remember Verse 22, for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. And now verses 23 and 24, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Boy, I tell you what, that is an incredible encouragement. You see, God is the one who guides and ordains our steps and life. It may seem from our perspective like this doesn't make sense. I'm over here. I'm over there. But have you ever seen in your life, dear friend, maybe while you're going through a particular time, it doesn't make sense. But down the road, when you look back, you can see how God has indeed ordered your steps. And you know what else it says here in verse 23? That God delights in our way. In other words, God takes pleasure in this journey of our lives. God is not a passive, uncaring God. He's a father, and he loves his kids. And just like a good father, he takes special delight in his children. I know I feel that way. As my children, in fact, I'm in the process right now of dubbing off VHS tapes of my three kids from years and years ago. And as I've been doing that process, dubbing it off to the digital realm so that it's I can get copies out to to the kids. 
that are now grown in their 20s. And it's hard for for me to believe that my oldest is going to turn 30 this year. But as that has been dubbing off those VHS tapes from 20 years ago, um, it's been very interesting because they're going on and this thing is playing in the background. And it's like the way my life was 20, 25 years ago when, you know, we would be doing different things and you would hear the children laughing and playing or maybe having a little bit of a, of a testy moment between them, you know, kids. As a dad, I delighted in them. I delighted in their ways back then. And hearing them and those recordings, I delight in them. And you know what? I look at my three grown men and my sons, and I delight in their way right now. If me, a imperfect and sometimes failing earthly father can feel that way about his kids, how much more our heavenly father, as it says, delights in our way. Let that soak in, friend. God is for you, dear child of God not against you. And he loves you. Man, he's got your picture up on his refrigerator if he has a refrigerator. And he delights He delights in you. When you wake up in the morning, he delights in you. When you get up and get ready for your day, he delights in you throughout the day. That is encouraging to see that. We have a good, good father, and he does take special delight in his children. And look at verse 24. Ah, I wish we could say that we always walk with him, right? There are times in which we may stumble and fall. It says, verse 24, though he falls, speaking of the righteous, the good man, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him in his hand. Even when we fall, we are not destroyed. Why? Again, our Heavenly Father, our Almighty God Himself upholds us. We are restored to the path of life by God Himself. And dear friend, if that was not the case, we would fall utterly and be utterly cast down. And sometimes it may feel that way, but that's not the way it is because truly the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I'm noticing something here in verse 24. It says, for the Lord, and Lord is spelled all caps. And what that means in our English Bibles is that is a reference to the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. And that name of Yahweh means what the Lord said the first time he showed his calling card, his name to his servant Moses in the desert. He said, I am that I am Yahweh or Jehovah. That is our God. He is the source. So here's what verse 24 says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord Yahweh the great I am, the infinite supply upholds him with his hand. Those two verses are of such encouragement to me. Dear friend, when you're going through a hard time in life, even when it seems like life is so unfair, remember Psalm 37 verses 23, how the steps of your life are ordered by the Lord. He delights in you, friend. He delights in your way. And though you may stumble and even fall, you won't be destroyed because God is upholding you. And you know, I believe because of that, The result is verse 25, and the psalmist here gives a bit of a testimony, and he says this, I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Boy, I tell you, what what a testimony of God's faithful provision throughout our lives, that We're not forsaken 
Do you know that forsaken, the word forsaken, is the exact opposite of the powerful Hebrew word chesed? That word chesed, which occurs many times throughout the Old Testament, means God's unfailing love. It refers to his covenant love with which he binds himself in love to his people. God's people are the object of God's chesed, his unfailing love. I love that term, unfailing love. You know, our human love eventually will fail at a point, but God's never does. He upholds us. He fulfills his promises. He is strong in our behalf. That is his unfailing love. And forsaken means the exact opposite of chesed or unfailing love. And it says here that the righteous are not forsaken, nor their descendants begging for bread. But it's the wicked who are forsaken. Psalm 37 verse 25 says, Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. To the contrary, they The people of God are the object of God's unfailing love, even in the most difficult of times. You know, as a result of God's chesed, his unfailing love, his care, his protection of the righteous, the righteous are described in verse 26 as this. He is merciful, listen, ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. So the righteous are not debtors, but they're givers. And not only are the righteous blessed, that blessing extends even to their descendants. You see, again, this is this picture that comes up over and over and over again in Psalm 37 and throughout the Bible, how on the one hand, you've got the wicked, and it seems for a while like, Things are going really well, even enviably so, but not for long. And they will face the consequences of going opposite and opposed to God because they are in God's universe and they're suddenly cut off. And yet here is the righteous. They have a heritage. They are blessed. They are even merciful. While the wicked can be unmerciful, and let me talk about this for just a moment, this unmerciful, judgmental spirit that we see in our age right now. You know, it's amazing how people will judge a person, I'm speaking maybe in the larger culture, and let's say this person might have done something wrong. And instead of waiting for the legal and judicial process to make its way, and I realize that the wheels of justice, and I'll admit the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they do turn. And yet people will run ahead, jump to conclusions. They will say the most nasty things in public, in social media, and then the most, I believe, This is demonic thing I've ever seen in my life. One of the most demonic things. And it's this thing called cancel culture here in the United States. They will rush to judgment about an individual and they will totally cut them off. They have a purpose of getting that person to be so ruined, so canceled, that their lives are ruined, they can't ever get a job in the future. There is such a viciousness about this ungodly spirit of judgmentalism that's going on. Folks, listen to me. That is demonic. That is from the devil. That is not from God. And shame on anybody who would practice such a diabolical, demonic thing. God is the judge. And God is the one who evaluates right for wrong. How dare we take justice into our own hands like this? It's demonic. If God is exercising mercy, who are we to jump in and have a vicious judgmental spirit? 
Well, I hadn't planned on saying that, but you know what? It needed to be said. I felt like the prompting of the Holy Spirit said, you need to expose this awful demonic thing of cancel culture and that kind of feeding frenzy that people go on when they don't like somebody. The righteous, on the other hand, as it says in verse 26, are ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Now, verse 27, it says this, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. You know, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, we can indeed depart from evil and do good. God doesn't want us wallowing in sin. God doesn't want us going down the path of wickedness, the path of the devil. No, God wants us to be in the wonderful highway of holiness together with him. But it is not, listen to me, walking in victory over sin and not giving in to the temptation of Satan and the flesh and the world is not because you're struggling and trying hard enough. No, not at all. It is the result of God's grace. God's grace. It's what God gives to you, dear friend, out of his heart of love. It is the rich treasury of his gifts of goodness to you, including the ability to overcome sin. And that grace is given through faith in Christ. And the most important thing, believer, is that we're able to depart from evil and do good is because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And I want to underline that word, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living inside of us can bring forth holiness in our lives. Walk according to the Spirit, the Scripture says, not according to the flesh, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's over in Galatians chapter 5. Okay, back to Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord, and again, that's in all caps, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Praise the Lord that he loves justice. And we need to hear that in our day when it seems that so many of the ungodly are getting away with injustice. They are creating laws and edicts that are completely contrary to the word of God. But remember, dear listening friend, again, I say this. I know I sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say it again. We are in God's universe not the devil's. And God's universe works God's way, no exception. God is the one in control. God is the one who runs things, and no one will escape God's justice. Hallelujah. Again, for the Lord loves justice. And right on the heels of that first part of verse 28, it says this, and does not forsake his saints. Again, there's that word forsake. No, you are, you are an object of his chesed, his unfailing covenant love. And that is so important. And as a result of God loving justice and not forsaking his saints, his holy ones, it says that they are preserved forever. During dark times, dear listening friend, like the times we're going through right now as I'm recording this, it's important to remember that God never forsakes his saints. Oh, by the way, saints, that's you, believer, all believers, the Bible calls all believers saints, holy ones in the Bible. They're not just a select few of super saints. No, uh, super Christians. A saint is one who's been set aside by God. And that's what God calls every single born-again believer in Christ, a saint. And here it is. God says he does not forsake his saints. God 
is our source, not man. God is the one who protects us, provides for us, and preserves us. Meanwhile, it says, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. God says, even the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off, meaning no supply, no inheritance, no blessing, not even a memory. Now, let me jump right in here. Believer, if you are the child of an unfortunate circumstance in which you had a wicked parent, I want to let you know that you are not in a situation where you are cursed or cut off, even though it says here that even the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Why do I say that? That's because, believer, you are under God's new covenant of blessings, not curses. You are under what it says in Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, it says right there, quoting the Old Testament, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Dear friend, that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and what he did for you. He went on that tree. He went on that cross to take the cursing that belongs to me, that belongs to you. He took it all. Why? That we would be blessed. Child of God, you are blessed because Jesus was made a curse for you. And that's the Father's love. Hallelujah. You know, because of Jesus and God's gift of righteousness, freely received by faith in Jesus and his finished work on your behalf. In Psalm 37, verse 29, it says this, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Now, remember what I said just a moment ago. It may seem at a particular point in time that the wicked, the ungodly, and the unrighteous are taking over, but that is extraordinarily temporary. When, in fact, the Bible says they will be inevitably cut off. Meanwhile, it is the righteous themselves who inherit the land. You see, you realize inheriting the land is the opposite of being a nomad, where you have to move from place to place. Those who, uh, they become the ones who are the owners. And it says they inherit the land. They didn't earn it. They inherited from the God of all the earth, and they dwell, live there in it forever. Again, Psalm 37, verse 29. Now, look what a blessing the righteous are and how blessed they are. They're inheriting the land. They're dwelling in it forever. It's not just something that is good for themselves, but it's a blessing For others, verse 30 says this, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. You know, this is what the world needs today. Wisdom, (laughs) wisdom. You know, it's one thing to have knowledge. It is something else altogether to have wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the intelligent use of knowledge. You may know something, but you don't know what to do with what you know. You need wisdom. And that wisdom comes from God himself. This world needs wisdom spoken from the righteous, not wisdom so-called from the ungodly and the unrighteous. Proverbs 10.21 says this, that the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Again, Proverbs 10.21, I like that. The lips of the righteous feed many. And it says here in verse 30, his tongue talks of justice. Now we're talking about real justice in God's eyes, not justice in 
pop culture's eyes, we hear this thing called social justice. There's no such thing as social justice. Justice is justice. It's the right being done and not the wrong. That is justice. And justice is always vis-a-vis God himself, his word, and his ways, not what we think should be justice. A lot of this so-called social justice that is invading culture, even the church, if you look at this, this is nothing new. It seems to be laudable on its surface, you know, dealing with situations like unresolved racism and so forth. But when you dig into these things further, you will see it is a godless, listen to me, godless philosophy. Anything that removes God is wrong. And if you remove God from justice, I don't care who you are, you're wrong. And sad to say, this business is even invading the church and its heresy. The reason why, let me use an example of racism. The reason why racism is going on is not because of systemic racism. That's pushing the blame off on the system. No, 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 no. The reason why there is racism is racism is sin. It's part of the sinner's sin nature that Jesus went to the cross for. And the only way to deal with the selfishness of sin, which leads to things like racism, which is wrong and evil, the only way is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any remedy that censors out the Lord Jesus and the cross is of the devil. Oh, I know those are serious words, but they are true words. Problems like racism, problems that happen of abuse, problems that happen uh, when people are unjustly discriminating against others, that is all rooted in sin. And the Bible deals squarely with those things. I'll get back to that in a moment. Again, justice is the real justice in God's eyes, not pop culture's eyes. And the Word of God needs to be alive and working in our hearts. Verse 31 says the law of his God is in his heart, not just in his head, but internalized as a love, as a passion. And then it says, none of his steps of the righteous shall slide. You know, I'm recording this and it's winter time and I like to go out for a walk and I got to watch it because we've had some ice. It's easy for my foot to slide. But there is a sure footing in this life while we are walking in this slippery, dangerous, and unpredictable world. And that is because God is the one who is bringing wisdom into our lives, who is bringing justice, who is bringing his word in our heart. He is the one who upholds us. Verse 32, the wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord, Jehovah, will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Boy, thank God that he is our protector. He is our vanguard. He is our vindicator. And even when wicked people try to ruin you, cancel you, or even kill you, slay you, God is the one in control, not the devil, not them. We stand not condemned. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 34. It says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. What this, these verses are telling us is that the only one who has the right to judge in the highest court of law 
which is God's court of law, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It says right here in verse 34, who is he who condemns? A lot of Christians think it's the devil who condemns. No, he doesn't. He may accuse, but he doesn't condemn. Only a judge can condemn someone. Who is he who condemns? Verse 34 of Romans 8 says, it is Christ who died. Why did he die? Who did he die for? He died for sinners, for those who were so rebellious, caught up in idolatry and sin. He died for them and is furthermore also risen, conquered death and the curse and the grave and sin, who is even at the right hand of God. The right hand in the Bible symbolizes the position of favor And there he is at the right hand of Almighty God, God the Father. And dear friend, he's making intercession for you. And this idea of intercession here means one who pleads the case of another. Now look, God, the Lord Jesus Christ is not trying to convince the Father into any of this stuff. This is Father God's idea. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. That was the initiative of the father. The son, Jesus said many times, especially in the gospel of John, only does what the father is doing and speaks what the father is saying. That's the reality. No, that plea, that appeal before Father God is not trying to convince Father God, out of justice. Rather, it is a righteous appeal of intercession from one who accomplished justice through what he did at the cross. And the Father is so delighted because it means that Father God is righteous to take us into his family where he is happy to receive us. That's the good news. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It says in Romans 8.33, it is God who justifies. You know, dear friend, you've been hearing me talk about the righteous and talking about the wicked and how the Bible is very clear about the destiny of each. And you may be wondering, where do I stand in this whole thing? I'm going to tell you, first of all, that in your Bible, in the Bible, the book of Romans, out of all of the 66 books, is the book in the entire Bible about the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes through, talks about the problem, starting in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. And dear friend, this isn't just a problem for that person over here and that bad person over there and that wicked person. No, it's far more extensive, as we'll see in a moment. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for, listen, everyone who believes, for the first, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And then in the very next verse, starting in verse 18, it says this, This is the bad news of the entire human race in the horrible condition of sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. And then verse 21 says this, In Romans 1, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. 
You see right there, we see the core of the real problem of sin. It is because of idolatry. What is idolatry? It is worshiping and glorifying and looking to something else as God instead of God himself. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. You know, the creature is corruptible. Only God is incorruptible. And so people will create an image, a likeness. You know, if it's not good enough to be God, they'll kind of inflate it with an image to seem like God. That's at the core, the ground zero of sin. And then It goes on from those verses in Romans chapter 1 all the way through the rest of Romans 1, all of Romans 2, and most of Romans 3 about this problem of sin in the human race and that it is universal. We hit Romans 3.10 and it says this, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now listen, that is the assessment of the human race by God who is omniscient, all-knowing, who sees through it all. You know, even our best works of goodness are a mixture of goodness with selfishness. That's the problem of sin in the human race. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it declares, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's the final story. We stand condemned before God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, it says that all the world may become guilty before God. Is there no hope? Is there no resolution? Thank God. Here's the good news of the gospel. There is. Listen, righteousness is not something you earn and deserve. Righteousness is a gift of God. That's what it says in Romans 5.17. Let me say that again. Righteousness is not something you earn and deserve. No. Righteousness is a gift of of God. And it's all based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done for you. Now, I want you to listen to these verses in Romans chapter 5 very carefully because it unpacks this in a powerful way. Romans chapter 5 in the New Testament, beginning in verse 6, says this, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, made righteous, placed into right standing with God, that's what justified means, We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There you see it there in Romans 5, 6 through 10. When we were without strength, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, there's a similar passage over in Ephesians chapter 2 in the first 10 verses. First three verses are all the dark stuff of sin and following the ways of Satan. Verse 4 of Ephesians 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This demonstration of the love of God toward us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Dear friend, there is no greater love. And I said just a few moments ago that this righteousness is not something you earn and deserve. No, 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 no. Righteousness is of God and it is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. And you may be wondering, well, Mark, how do I receive this gift of righteousness and eternal life? In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, this is what we read. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There it is, dear friend. Verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, confess the Greek word and the Bible and the New Testament was originally written in ancient Greek, Koine Greek, that word confess is homologeo. It means same word. It is coming into agreement with God from your mouth, speaking the same word, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and you are King and Lord of me. That's the first part, confessing that aloud. And the second part is important, right? Anybody can mouth something, but believing in your heart that God truly raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Dear friend, if you are ready right now to receive this incredible gift of God's righteousness and eternal life, I want you to pray together with me and pray this from the heart. It's not the prayer that saves you. Jesus saved you 2,000 years ago on the cross. This is receiving the benefit of what he did for you back then. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us and loved me so much that you gave your only Son that if I would believe on him, I would not perish but have everlasting life. And now, dear Lord, Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I confess Jesus Christ as Lord, as King of kings and Lord of lords, God together with you, Father. And I thank you for him. And I declare him Lord over my life. And I believe that he died for me on the cross for my sins and my salvation and my cleansing and forgiveness and righteousness. I believe that you raised him from the dead victorious. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Dear friend, if you prayed that and truly believed and meant it, I want you to go to a pastor of a Bible-believing church, not just any pastor, but a pastor of a church where they preach the Bible, God's Word, and let them know what you've done. And I also want you to let me know as well. Uh, You can stop by our website at dailyinchrist.org, dailyinchrist.org, and right at the top, you'll see a menu, and one of the buttons says Contact. Click that button, fill out the form, and then submit it. I'll get it through email. I want to hear the good news of what God did in your life. Well, dear friend, I want to thank you for listening to the Daily in Christ podcast. That means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to God, not because of so much my thoughts, but the sharing, the faithful sharing of the Word of God, the Bible. And I'll tell you what, dear friend, if there ever was a day when people need to hear this message, it is today. It is the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and the wonderful message of God's marvelous grace. If this program is a blessing to you, I want to encourage you to let some friends know about it. The Daily in Christ podcast is available on all of the major podcasting platforms. You can find out more about how to listen to this podcast on a regular basis by stopping by our website at dailyinchrist.org. I know that some of you are already listening to it in podcast form. It's also available as something you just play directly from the website. Maybe you're doing the play from the website uh, routine and you're thinking, okay, I've heard about podcasting. What is this all about? Well, I've written an article. It's right there on the website dailyinchrist.org. And when you get there, there's the menu up on top. At the very top, you will see that same menu that I just mentioned a moment ago. But this time you want to click on podcast. That'll bring up three items, one of which is the one that says how to listen to the Daily in Christ podcast. So you click on that particular link and it brings you into a very helpful article about how to listen to the Daily in Christ podcast on your mobile device. And that really is the best way to hear uh, what we're bringing to you. We talk about, you know, what is a podcast and how does it work? And then uh, we have quick links to subscribe to our podcast and each of the uh, very popular podcast uh, platforms like Apple Podcasts, uh, Android, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and so forth. And uh, if you don't want to take advantage of those services, there are uh, instructions on how to get to the podcast on Android and also um, Apple and other podcast platforms as well. That's a daily in Christ Dot .org and there are a lot of other in fact every single one of our podcasts can be found at that dailyinchrist.org website. This is episode number 112 so all of the episodes are available for listening and download at dailyinchrist.org. Well dear listening friend, my name is Mark Vanus and as I love to say at the very end of each podcast from Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Mm-hmm.